0: Please stay standing. We're going to work, keep worshiping. We're going to keep worshiping God here. This is Acts chapter 12, and this is verses 20 through 25. This is our scripture for the morning. We've sang, now we're going to read, and we're going to worship. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and he took his seat among the throne and he delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last but the word of God the word of God increased and multiplied the battle's already won and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem and they completed their service bringing with them John whose other name was Mark praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. What a joy to sing together. What an amazing God you are. It's so good to know that there are promises that surround us that are bigger than us. That there is a God who is sovereignly in control of all things. And whatever is allowed into our lives is allowed because it moves us toward Jesus Christ. Lord, you're bigger than cancer. You're bigger than the trials and tribulations that we face. You're the hope of our lives. You're the joy of our hearts. And we got punks like Herod who come up in our lives proud and full of pride, inflated with sin. And Lord, you got them. You can cut them down in a heartbeat. And Lord, if we're honest, we all have a little Herod in our hearts. We have that same desire inside of us for pride and sin and arrogance. And God, we need to be so quick to give you the glory. We give you the glory right now, For all that you have done and all that you are doing and all that you will do, we give you the praise. This has nothing to do with us. This has everything to do with you. So God, would you heal the hearts of every Christian? It's Communion Sunday. We love communion. We love to remember Jesus Christ and all he has done for us. He's our treasure. And Lord, um, there's a few here that probably don't know you as Savior. They, They just need to be saved. Would you save them? Bring them to repentance and faith. And oh God, may your grace be the reason that we have joy this morning. God, guide us in your word now. Teach us what we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again and welcome to church. Brandon, you didn't need to make me cry and stuff. Come on, man. God is good. God is good. Well, awesome to have you here this morning. I just want to show you a quick picture to start the service. This is our senior high campers that went to camp this last week, and we had 22 total uh, between uh, campers and counselors, and God has done an amazing work in our senior high. Praise the Lord. It was an amazing week of God's grace um, as the Word of God is proclaimed, and there are some, some amazing stories being told amongst that group. And We can't share all of them, but we can just tell you that God is on the move. God's on the move, and uh, we praise Him for being on the move. Amen? Amen. And uh, the Lord is drawing in the next generation uh, to preach Jesus Christ, to lay down their lives for the gospel, and uh, we're proud to be a small part of it. So anyway, God is really good. Camp was awesome. Uh, Pray for our senior hires, and our student ministry kickoff this fall is going to be huge, and uh, we're just really excited. So sermon series is The Thriving Church. We're going through the book of Acts, and we are in Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 25 this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Acts 12. And my sermon title this morning is, Eaten by Worms, Elevated by God. Eaten by Worms, Elevated by God. And in this passage, Herod, you know, evil Herod that we looked at last week, he is going to meet his demise with a horrific death, and yes, by worms. And I'll give you some detail, but I want you to... uh, eat your lunch and stuff today. So I won't give you all the detail, but he was eaten by worms. And in contrast to Herod, the church was elevated to multiplication and disciple making. Now Herod was filled with sinful pride, the bad kind of pride that is in the heart of every sinner. And the church was filled with humility. Now look with me in verse 23 and 24. Herod Filled with pride, it says this immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod down. Because why? Why did he get struck, in, struck, struck down? There we go, struck in, that's not a word, struck down. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied amongst the church. Amazing. Now, Herod had sinful pride. What is pride? Well, according to verse 23, pride is not giving God the glory that he deserves. Herod went like this. Yeah, bring it, like this. He went like this instead of like this. And I would tell you that's the simplest way to define pride. Pride is when you and I go like this. Yeah, give me some, give me some, give me that glory. Instead of going like this, God deserves all the praise. Don't look at me, look at God, right? That's the difference. Now, Before we get into Herod's specific story of downfall, I want to give you some basic Bible truths about pride and humility so you have a baseline for what I'm talking about. So sinful pride, we're going to start with pride, then go to humility. Sinful pride is having too high of a view of oneself. It's to be inflated or puffed up or arrogant in your attitude. It's wanting God's glory for yourself. That is pride. It's when you want what only God deserves and you try to absorb that for yourself. Human beings are not meant to absorb the glory of God. We are meant to point upward to his glory and point others to his glory and enjoy his glory, but we are not to take that glory for ourselves. Now, it's like John Lennon said in 1966. John Lennon, was a singer for the Beatles, and he said at one point, we're more popular than Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now that caused quite a stir, especially in America, because everybody was taking their Beatle records, and they were burning them, because they viewed what John Lennon said as blasphemy, and rightfully so. Now John Lennon is dead, and the Beatles are almost all dead. And the next generation coming up, It's like, who are the Beatles? And Jesus is going strong, amen? What a contrast. The human ability to to be proud and puffed up in the moment of glory, it's not for man to be glorious. Only God gets to be glorious. And only Jesus is the eternal son of God. I remember April 19th, 1993 very well. I was 12 years old. And I was homesick. I don't know if I was faking sick. I probably was faking sick, let's be honest. And I was homesick, laying on the bed as a 12 year old, and my mom had the news on. And whatever Good Morning America show was on got interrupted by this scene in Waco, Texas. And there was this complex with all these secret agents and, and special agents on the roof and all around. I'm like, what is going on? I'm 12 years old. My mind is blown. I'm like, something is going on here. And all of a sudden, we watched this, this intensity build. And all of a sudden, the building burst into flames. And everybody in the building died. 82 people died on April 19th, 1993. I, as a 12 year old, was enraptured by, like, what is happening? And my mom's like, what are you watching? I'm like, you put on Good Morning America. I'm just watching what you had on, mom. But David Koresh, the picture of the man that you saw, was the leader of that movement. And it was a cult. And David Koresh had multiple wives and a lot of crazy theology. They had arms in the complex, like lots of ammo, lots of guns, lots of weapons, because they were stockpiling to fight their way out of the book of Revelation when it came to them. That's psycho. And David Koresh claimed that he was Messiah, which was why he could have multiple wives and why he could be immoral in a way that the Bible condemns. But he was arrogant. He was proud. He was inflated with pride. And God does not allow His glory to be shared with any human. Isaiah forty two eight. God says that He doesn't share His glory with anybody. Pride is fighting against God. How stupid is it to fight against God? And yet, how many of us do it every day? All of us. We wake up and we start fighting God. Why do we fight God? We know we can't win because pride tells us that it's our natural state to think that we can outwit God or overpower God. God hates pride. Here's just a couple verses to think about. Proverbs 8, 13 Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. God hates pride. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. The word opposes there means actively fights against. When you are walking in pride, God is actively fighting against you. You wonder why life is going so hard? It's because you're actively in warfare with the God who created you and you ought not to be. Consider a couple stories, Nebuchadnezzar and Uzziah. Nebuchadnezzar is a story that I just read about recently in Daniel chapter 4. The prophet Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and says, King, I hate to bring the bad news to you about your dream, but here's your dream. You will be in a field eating grass. And Nebuchadnezzar says, say what? I'm Nebuchadnezzar, man. One year later, Nebuchadnezzar looks over Babylon, and this is what he says. He says, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? That just reeks of pride, doesn't it? And then a voice from God said, you will eat grass like an ox, God's going to put him down in a minute. Until you have learned that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And Nebuchadnezzar found himself eating grass in a field like an ox because when we get proud, God has no problems. Zero problems putting us out in the field to eat grass. If that's what it takes for us to learn. Now what about King Uzziah? I just read this in my devotions this week, 2nd Chronicles chapter 26. Uzziah was a great king. His, his fame spread far and wide. He was greatly helped by God until he became powerful. And when Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Second, Second Chronicles 26, 15 and 16. Uzziah got so proud that he tried to go into the temple to offer incense. That is a no-no. That is a no-no. Kings do not do that. That is a priest job. And Uzziah was so proud. He thought he was the man. He went into the place that he wasn't uh, 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 able to go into. And he walks into the holy place wanting to burn incense. And it took not one priest, not two priests. It took 80 priests to stand in his way and say, Uzziah, this is not for you. 80. How proud do you have to be to go against 80 people who are trying to speak some sense into your life? And he didn't stop. He's going to try to burrow his way through 80 priests and God struck him with leprosy and he was a leper until he died. Pride will kill us. We'll eat. We'll get eaten by worms if we walk in pride. Some of you need to hear that. Humility, on the other hand, is having a right view of God and a right view of oneself in the eyes of God. Humility is knowing how small you are and how big God is. Can I get a witness? You measured yourself up against God lately? You're pretty small. He's pretty big. And that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. To walk in humility is to see how big he is and how small I am. Humility is living in in God's glory for his glory. And it's knowing Christ personally in your heart through repentance and faith. The most humbling thing you could ever do is to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. That's good. That's the gospel. You'll never do it apart from His grace. You'll never repent apart from the grace of God. But when the grace of God comes, you repent and believe. That's, that's humility. God loves humility. He's all over the humble sinner. Now, a couple of verses to think through. Proverbs 15:33. "The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. Some of you want honor, but you don't want humility. And you keep wondering, why am I getting pushed down so much? Because you want honor without God's prerequisite of humility. Humble yourself before God. He'll take care of the honor part. Now, what about Philippians 2.3? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. In humility, look at others and say, you're more significant than me. You want to be a really joyful human being? Look across at another human being and say, you're more significant than I am. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to serve you. That's humility. Consider a couple stories about humility. One is Gideon and one is Esther. Gideon is a story in the Old Testament of a, of a really zero that God turned into a hero. Gideon is this guy, he's, he's the, you know, like running away from the enemy, he's making food, he's making grain, and an angel shows up before him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon looks around like, Who, who are you talking to? Somebody else? And all of a sudden, the angel's like, no, we're going to use you. God is going to use you to deliver Israel. And this is Gideon's response. How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And God says, that's exactly who I want to use. I want to use a humble man. And God worked a great victory. What about Queen Esther? You've heard of her before. Lots of movies have been made about her. She's this Jewish woman, very humble. God raises her up to be queen. Queen. And, and in that place of queen position, the Jewish people, her people are going to be annihilated. And her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, hey, you got to be the person. You got to go talk to the king. And, and Esther's like, Who oh am I mean, I haven't been called to go see the king in 30 days. I don't want to go because if I go, I risk my life. And Mordecai says, like a good uncle does, amen, like a good uncle. How do you know that God has not raised you up for such a time as this? And she does it. God does it and saves the entire people. So humility is what God loves. Now let's get to Herod's story. Here's the big idea of of Acts 12. Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. And God will make sure that pride is stopped and the gospel is multiplied. God will make sure of it. That pride is stopped and the gospel is multiplied. So let's look at Herod first. Herod eaten by worms. Let's look at this guy. Verse 20, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, and they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So Herod was angry. Big surprise, right? Big surprise. Nope. This guy's a hothead. He has an anger problem. And he's angry at Tyre and Sidon. There's some economic dispute between the two, and they can't seem to get together. Tyre and Sidon, as far as geography, is located to the north and the west of Jerusalem. So you go up and to the left as you're looking at a map. They're on the Mediterranean coast, but they're having an an issue with food. So in this situation, Herod has the advantage. He has the leverage over Tyre and Sidon. And and Tyre and Sidon, they know that they need the food, right? And all God's people said, I need lunch, right? Amen? You need lunch. Tyre and Sidon, we need food. We got to have food. Judea, they provide our food. So they go to Blastus, who's like the secretary of state, and they say, hey, we need you to kind of make peace with us and Herod. Can we work out a deal? And so they get together in order to make peace and to get food to their cities, And Herod is in the advantage. He's in the place of leverage. He's over these cities. Now, look at verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. So, according to the historian Josephus, Herod planned a three day event. Day one was to honor Herod or honor Caesar, and day two was to honor Herod, and day three as well. So Herod gets everybody from Tyre and Sidon together. Everybody in the region comes together. And Herod, the only way he can get people together is to say, hey, we're going to honor Caesar. Day one, yay, go Caesar. Woo, big party for Caesar. Day two, let's honor me. Let's honor me, right? And all of a sudden, all day two is, is Herod honoring himself. And he puts on these royal robes in verse 21. And we know historically that these robes were made of silver. So gleaming in the sun. He looks very glorious as he walks out. He's feeling, look good, feel good, you know. Walks out to give his speech. He's all glimmering in the sunshine. He's going to give a speech. And he actually nails the speech. He does good. Like he gives an oration. And in verse 22... The people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man, as everybody's looking at the shiny speaker in front of them, knowing that they need food from this guy, they have to have peace with this guy. They're like, yeah, voice of a God, not of a man. You can feel the flattery in the verse, like, you know, like they're part just flattering them. Maybe he'll give us food if we flatter. But I also think if you're hungry and you're in desperation mode and you need something, the leader himself looks like a God to you because you have needs. It changes the way you look at somebody. And now I don't, I don't need to illustrate this a lot, but you can see this in politics all the time. Like, go to a political rally and see someone who's desperate. I need this answer in my life. And a politician looks all shiny in the suit and the nice clothes. And what do they do? I'll just give you everything you want. Yeah! Woo! Politics is going to save my life, you know, like all of a sudden. Here we go. Is it going to happen? I don't know. Probably not. But they said, the voice of a God, not of a man, verse 23, immediately the angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms, breathed his last. Herod did not give God the glory. He had the opportunity to give God glory. Say, no, it's not about me. It's about God. But he said, yeah, bring it. Don't I look good in my shining silver robe? Didn't I do a good job on my speech? Don't I have the power over you? And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord comes in front, stops him right in his tracks. According to Josephus, the historical record of this account is that Herod immediately doubled over in pain. <laughs> he just like doubled over on the stage and they had to drag him off the stage. And for five days, he was eaten from the inside out by worms. And all God's people said, that's gross. Amen. Nasty. And I won't even, that's just like the G-rated version. You can go read the scholars and read the historical account. It is nasty what happened to this man. Worms came out of him. He dies five days later. Because when he had the moment of opportunity to either point people to God or to absorb the glory for himself, Herod took the glory. And God said, we're done. We're done here. Now, Herod's poisonous process of pride. I just want to lay this out real quick before we move on to the last point. Kevin DeYoung said, we all have a little Herod in our hearts. And if we're really honest, we have a little bit of this story inside of us. We know it deep down. We don't, we want the glory for some crazy reason. And here's just the process of pride. Pride begins when you're in an exalted position. It begins when you're in an exalted, leveraged position. When someone is dependent upon you and you're in charge, you have the leverage. That's when pride begins. Pride builds when you're on a roll. You look good, feel good. You nail the speech, right? Look good, feel good. You wear the right clothes at the right time. You say the right things. All of a sudden, you get on a roll. That's when pride can build in your heart. Pride climaxes when you receive praise. When people verbally start praising you and they start clapping for you and they say, man, you're such a good thing. You did this good thing and you have so much talent and this is the thing that you did. That is really dangerous because that's when it climaxes in your heart. Like, don't. It's a tug of war. And then God's judgment comes when you absorb the moment. You take the glory that is not yours to have. God will judge Now, for most of you, you can look at this list and you can look at your life and you can say amen. You can see the process of how it's working. And this process of pride will send you to hell. It'll absolutely send you to hell because you will trust yourself, not God. So watch out for pride in your life. Don't get eaten by worms. Let's close in prayer, right? Amen? Just kidding. We got another point. The second point is this, the church is elevated by God. Herod is eaten by worms. The church is elevated by God. Only eight words, verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. In contrast to Herod, the church is humble. The grace of God is on the church and they are being elevated by God to increased influence and multiplication. And God is doing it through his power through every Christian that is multiplying out in that area. Wouldn't it be ridiculous to see the Apostle Peter in a silver thing? Like, how ridiculous. You don't see Peter, you know, running around all proud and arrogant and doing all this. Peter's out making disciples trying to survive with his life, right? And the church has God's grace on it, and all of a sudden, the multiplication increases, the, the, the influence increases, and the church keeps moving on. How does the church keep moving on? By the power of the grace of God. How does living waters keep moving on? By the grace of God. Amen? It's all of us sharing the gospel. It's all of us telling people about Jesus. It's all of us moving forward together. It's not one person who's like, oh, yeah, definitely that person. It's everyone coming together saying, we're a bunch of nobodies that God found. And His grace found me. And I'll help you find the grace that found me. Eight words, but they carry so much power. Eight words. This is cool, because this increasing and multiplication is right in step for the glory of God with our purpose statement as a church. Praise the Lord. Our purpose statement as a church, if you don't know yet, is this, and we've had it since day one, July 1st, 2008, we've had the same purpose statement. And it says this, we exist to spread a passion for the glory of God. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ to every t- tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Hallelujah. What is living waters all about? We're a bunch of nobodies who has experienced the mighty saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's all we are. And that's all we will ever be is to pour that message out to other sinners and to say salvation is good. It feels good. It is good. And you need it in your life if you're struggling, right? That's living waters. That's who we are. We're nobody special. We're a bunch of normal people that God has saved. And we're pouring out that grace to others. And God is increasing. God is multiplying. That's what God is doing. Did you know that God has been doing this multiplication and and increasing for 2,000 years? Did you know that? Like most of us live in this today world where we're like, well, you know, I mean, God's doing some stuff right now. You know, we're, we're a small piece to this big puzzle, right? Like we're around just lately. 2,000 years, God's been doing this, increasing and multiplying his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Amen. Hallelujah. He'll do it in every generation with or without our participation. He will continue to do it. He prefers our participation. He wants us to be a part of it. But he says, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. I'm just reading verses from Acts, by the way. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. I mean, this is awesome. This movement of Jesus has no hero except for Jesus. What a cool thing to be a part of it. And that's how the church moves. The Holy Spirit moves people to get saved and to share the gospel and multiply disciples in every place. I love waking up in the morning on Sundays because I get up early, 4.45, and I start praying and, and one thought hits me every Sunday, every single Sunday. Church has been over for a while in South Africa. Because my best friend's in South Africa. He's preaching the gospel in South Africa. He's sharing Jesus in South Africa. And I think Louis has been done with church for hours at this point. And I always think, God, you're so big because you've already crossed the continent of Africa and Asia and Western Europe and Eastern Europe. By the time I wake up in America, God is already building his church all over the world. Aren't you glad about that? That's so amazing. This is our God. And who gets the glory? I don't know. We're just a bunch of servants who have experienced this amazing grace. And we're like, wow. Wow. I do not deserve to be saved. I do not deserve to know this forgiveness. And everybody just spreads it as we go. Jesus is Lord. He's unstoppable. He's marching on, He's doing the work. So, as we close and we go to communion time, I want to give you just some some big time names over history that have really made their impact on this world. And they have been the power player of the world, and they have said, I am something. I'm going to give you some names. Herod, he died. Caesar, all the Caesars, dead. Cleopatra, you remember that girl? Cleopatra, that's quite a story, right? Dead. Alexander the Great, I mean legendary, legendary leader, gone. George Washington, King George, Hitler, and then my most random name here, Cher. You guys remember Cher? She's a great singer. She dominated for a lot of years. Ronald Reagan, Michael Jordan. Who knows how many Bushes have been president of our country? Probably 30. The Clinton family, LeBron James, Barack Obama, Beyonce, Donald Trump, Xi Jinping. All these people, you know what? God will stop them in a minute because it ain't about them. This story is not about them. This story is about Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His church is marching on. March on, church. March on. God will elevate you as you humble yourself before him. So we're going to go to communion. Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. And God will make sure that pride is stopped and his gospel is multiplied. And I just, I want to just say as we go to communion, God loves you so much. I mean, so much. God desires you to have humility in your heart so much. He's ready to explode your life with blessings if you would just humble yourself before God. So if you're a Christian, communion is for you. You can go back and participate in the elements. But here's the thing. Christian, this is a great time, opportunity to confess sin. Confess pride in your life. You got pride? Get rid of it. Embrace humility. Reflect on all that Jesus has done for you. Reflect on his love and his grace that is ready to restore you and to use you for his glory. If you're here and you're not a Christian, communion is not for you. It's not for you. So you can just let the plates go. Just stay in your seat. And I would encourage you to get saved. For the first time in your life, confess your pride, receive Jesus Christ personally. The only way you're going to get to heaven is if you receive Jesus Christ personally. So even this morning, there has been an individual who's gotten saved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Gave up his... Yeah. Praise the Lord. We can clap for that. That's good. And can experience their first communion. That's amazing. Praise God. Some of you need to do that for the first time. You need to make it from religion to relationship. Let Christ in. Okay? So what I'm going to do is pray, and then all the believers, go get your elements right away, and then come back to the chair, and then it's just your time, your time to be with Jesus. Confess sin, get right, get things going. And then we'll all participate in the elements together. But let me pray and ask God to do the work. in Christ, let's pray. Father, thank you for your good grace to us. Thank you for communion. Thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we all got a little Herod in our hearts. We do. And Lord, we need to confess that. We need to go to the communion tables with clean hearts. So God, just help us embrace humility this morning. Help us to embrace Jesus Christ. Lord, for every Christian, would you bless them as they participate in your love, as they celebrate your unfailing love in in their lives. Lord, would you bless communion, bless the elements. And Lord, for those who do not yet know you as Savior, Lord, would you convict them? Would you move them by the power of your grace to receive Jesus Christ right now, to confess their sins and to confess Jesus as Lord God, we trust you. We believe you. So bless our communion time now. Do your good work. In Christ's name, amen.